This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a Mad Men's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. So, Mort, tell me, because um, either at 7 years old or 17 years old, we all come to that reality that I'm not going to play center field for the Yankees or I'm not going to be the running back for the Rams. And if we want to be in sports, we want to pick another route. When did that become a reality for you? Wow, Matt, it's funny. I, I don't know that anybody has ever asked me that question uh, other than maybe a, you know a, 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 somebody offhand, an offhand friend said, how do you start in this business? Of course, my answer is I had no intention of ever getting into television. <laughs> but, uh, and I was, uh, you know, I grew up in the Los Angeles area at a place called in Torrance at North Torrance High School or North High School Torrance, as they would correct. Uh, and I was, you know, listen, I was your typical, let's play you know, football, basketball, baseball, you know, and back then you could actually play all three of those sports. And I was your typical average athlete, which, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. Uh, And then, you know, as I got into, uh, I would say my adolescent years and early teen years, even though I loved competing and I did play, uh, you know, my older brother, John, who's about four or five years, five years older than me, he came home one day with a trophy, and the trophy was for uh, a journalism award in which he won the California State High School Journalism Sports Writing Contest. And 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 I thought, you know, my brother John's like he, he he's he's really different from me. Uh, he's firstborn, I was a thirdborn, but but I thought, man, you get a trophy for for writing, and I had some interest in journalism because my dad. Uh, you know, he was one of those that always put me on his lap, and we, we, we would read newspapers back then, back when everybody read newspapers. And I was uh, obviously very into sports. And then I saw my brother, you know, oh, wow, it must be, it's pretty cool. So when I actually entered high school, North High School, there was a journalism teacher named Guy Old, and uh, Guy Old Jr., actually. He was from Oklahoma, 
and it, you know, it uh, migrated over to California. And uh, he turned out to be like one of the greatest teachers, maybe the greatest teacher I had, in that he put about 20 to 25 people into the profession, Matt, which is unbelievable when you're talking about a high school journalism teacher. And so I, I wrote for the uh, for the high school newspaper. It's called the North Wind. I eventually you know, became the sports editor of that paper all the time while I was competing in sports, except football, eventually, because I ruptured my spleen, and that's another story. But I found it to be kind of exhilarating, uh, kind of a freedom. I was a very independent thinker. I was very much uh, anti-establishment. I wasn't real popular with their varsity football coaches. <laughs> uh, and yet I had the support of my journalism teacher. And then when I, uh, as I went through high school and finished uh, wrapping up playing sports, my old baseball coach, a guy named Jim O'Brien, uh, you know, basically I was looking for a part-time job. I was always, you know, working. My mom made me work from nine years old on. Uh, but uh, he, he knew the sports editor at a newspaper called The Daily Breeze. Back, back then it was the South Bay Daily Breeze, based in Torrance, California, and that that South Bay area where people always you know, hear about Manhattan Beach and Redondo Beach and Hermosa, that area but inland. And I worked, I worked part-time on week, weeknights, uh, Friday nights, Saturday nights, taking phone calls, working the desk, uh, re- doing some rewrites for high school games. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I got into a position where one summer as I was going to junior college, El Camino College, also in Torrance, uh, my sports editor back then, Mike Waldner, who uh, I just I owe so much to, actually asked me if, while I was still going to junior college, would I like to be the high school sports editor that summer while they looked for a new one? And I said, of course, because it was a full-time job for the summer, and I did it, and uh, I continued college. But then at the end of that summer, they offered me the job of being the guy. So I actually didn't finish even junior college because a lot of different things happened. I got drafted in the Army. I came back and ended up working for the newspaper, other things in my personal life. But that's how I got into the print business. And then as that continued, I covered high school sports for four years, five years, which I recommend to everybody. I, I, I worked part-time on other sports when it wasn't uh, when I was able to. And then – when Tommy and the Sorta became manager of the Dodgers, they actually asked me if I'd be interested in covering the baseball beat. And of course, baseball was my first love. And I said, absolutely. And we, we had traveled with the team. And, uh, and so I covered the Sorta's first six years, uh, kind of got some notice for breaking a number of stories against the, what you would call bigger competition, the LA times and what have you. And, and ultimately the Atlanta journal constitution called me and, uh, 82 and they were looking for a new uh another braves beat rider and i was kind of i kind of liked atlanta uh you know when i visited on the road when i was covering the dodgers so i i uh i took that job and then ultimately all i can tell you is i end up at the national sports daily which nobody will remember it was probably <laughs> the greatest sports staff ever put together ever assembled and as, as we had at the atlanta journal constitution by the way with van mckenzie Who's, who's has since passed away from cancer, and Van was the managing sports editor, uh, and uh, and and he you know, he went on to to join Frank DeFord at the National, and, and Frank DeFord, unfortunately, also another one who's who's passed us. Uh, 
he, you know, baseball for me, you know, hey, what beat do you want? You want football or you want baseball? Because I was by then doing uh, doing some football for the national, uh, not for the national, but I was kind of crossing over into both. Uh, because, by the way, I, I, I have to tell you this. You ask the question, so you get the long-winded answer. I'm all I'm, born. I'm here for it. Because when I was in Atlanta uh, covering the Braves, I met my future wife, Mickey, in the press box at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. She was working part-time with the PR uh, department for the Braves. Wayne Minshew was the uh, PR director back then, and she was kind of a press box attendant and what have you, and met her, and uh, eventually we dated for a year, got married, and and about four months after we got married, she got pregnant. And I said, let me go cover the Falcons while I figure this thing out. And coming off baseball was the most painful professional decision I ever had to make because I was a baseball addict. And yet I also had a great desire to be a, 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 a good husband and a good father. And I didn't know what that all entailed. So I just asked for a year to go cover the Falcons. Dan Henning was the coach then. That was in 85. And uh, that morphed into the National, and it morphed into working a year behind the scenes at CBS Sports, because the National was based in New York, and uh, working with Greg Gumbo and Terry Bradshaw. They they just started the, the studio stuff. And uh, and then I get a call from Fred Goodelli and Bob Rauschen from ESPN, and uh, they had liked my work, what they had seen in print, and they were looking for some a, a, a reporter and asked me if I wanted to uh, do the draft for them in uh, that year. It was early 1991, by the way. And I reluctantly said yes. And then after I did the draft, they asked me to audition for NFL Countdown, Sunday Countdown. At the time, it was, I think, maybe 45 minutes long. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, and it was joined. And I, and I actually did not want to take it. I, I had just written a book. Uh, and, but you know, I thought the national was in the middle of folding and I went ahead and, uh, said yes. And, uh, you know, after all the makeup and hair and <laughs> having to shave a mustache, which I, in retrospect is kind of funny. Uh, you know, I joined uh, Chris Berman and Tom Jackson and Joel Theismann at the main desk and, and, uh, took off from there. I, you know, and so I'm in the middle of my 20, uh, Ninth year, and I'll be uh, my thirtieth year will be next uh, when the draft hits. Next, that's when it'll be the commencement of my thirtieth year at ESPN. That's actually the short version, believe it or not. Well, Mort, I want I want to cover some of this because I'll go back for a second for me, and and I'll like relay it to you. When we have interns come through here, or young guys who are like, yeah, I don't know if I can work for free, or I don't know if I can work for cheap, and and uh, I don't know if I can do the tour of cities. My response is, this is the wrong business. When I relay to them that I made seven thousand dollars my first year. In this business, and, and some of it was in gift cards. Like, that's the way yeah. it goes. What was your first paycheck? And, and think back to those early years. We didn't care how much we made. You wanted your foot in the door in any way possible. The most exciting thing that ever happened to me in my professional career was the first time I looked at the newspaper, the Daily Breeze Sports section, and saw by Chris Mortensen. Hmm. I have no idea what I was making when that happened. I do know when I took the full-time job, at the Daily Breeze, I was I, I was making ninety dollars a week. It might have been eighty five dollars a week, and I could not believe that somebody would pay me that much money to cover sports and actually have a byline on a newspaper that was that covered an area that was we probably had thirty high schools in the area. I mean, very you know very significant area, uh, and so you know that that's what I made. And, and, and covering high schools, by the way, when I was at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. 
Uh, I can remember there was a, a young, and I'm not going to call him out, but there was somebody who was he graduated from college, and he came to me, and he was had just met with Van McKenzie, or or managing sports editor, and and uh, had asked, uh, you know, basically came out with a long face, and and he said, so what's wrong? And he says, Matt, you know, Van wants me to cover high schools. He goes, I don't want to cover high schools. That's not why I went to college. I told him, yeah, I said, go back in and get on your knees and beg him to cover high schools, because I know it's not going to pay you a lot of money, but because. The whole concept of work ethic, and by the way, nobody handing you any stat sheets, you trudging the sidelines in the rain, the mud, whatever it is, doing your own stats, you having to interact with coaches, interact with everybody, those those things are priceless. And whatever I got paid, it it was a gift because I loved what I was doing. And the other thing, if you had an athlete, I think everybody has a competitive gene in them, but... If you had, you know, if you really like sports and you actually played sports but weren't good enough to play beyond high school, I found it to be a very competitive business. Like, for instance, when I w- moved over to cover, the, 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 especially the, 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 the Dodgers, I mean, I traveled with, like, eight different newspapers uh, that we competed against. So, you know, when you when you got a story, when you beat something on a story, you know, th- that was like competing on the uh, – whether it was the football field, the basketball court, or a baseball diamond. That's what it felt like. It was co- it was competitive, it was sports, and, oh, by the way, I, I, you know, the money was like, okay, that's a gift. I, I can't believe I'm getting paid that much money to, to do this. Yeah, to cover sports and to go in locker rooms and do the whole thing. Well, here's – like, it, it saddens me still today that I, I, I miss those Sunday mornings or the, or the weekday mornings when my dad and I would fight over the sports section because you could sit down and read a paper. Um, yeah. And we all had our favorite writers, both locally and nationally – for you, and, and I want to talk about the AJC years in a moment, but the transition from those days of writing for the newspaper and, and ripping it open the next morning to see what the hot column was or the beat writer, like how accepting were you of, of times changing from those days to TV to digital to where we are now where newspapers are almost obsolete? I was not, accept, I was not accepting of it. And, and to be honest with you, uh, you know, a lot of heartbreak in it. And some of it doesn't affect me. I i just been blessed to have a door open at the right time. I've never considered myself, you know, necessarily a cut above other many other good, what I would call writers, beat guys. We call beat guys are the guys who are assigned to teams, and that's what I was. I was a beat guy, whether it was coming the Dodgers, the, you know, the Braves or, uh, or, or Falcons or back when you were coming. Actually, you were just a beat guy. But, you know, yeah, listen, we – hey, when I used to get on planes, when I actually started traveling, I'd, I'd – buy six or seven newspapers and as i told you you kind of grew up you know with you know reading the newspaper with your dad and and uh so and i'm seeing just as i start to see something really encouraging happening online by the way the national sports daily if there had been an internet would have been a spectacular success it was the athletic before the athletic to me exactly and i when i see the athletic i am so encouraged because there's it's such good content. There's so many good beat writers out there. And to be honest with you, even in every city right now, I see so much talent, guys earnestly working hard and not for a whole lot, uh, you know, because they take pride in their work and it's, it's, it's the passion. We always tell people, I mean, kids coming out of college, and I know that finding the jobs that they, they, they dreamed of, envisioned, those jobs aren't there or often aren't there. Uh, you know, to be able to, 
do your passion and get paid for it, uh, I still think that's a blessing. But it breaks my heart. It has broken my heart to see so many newspapers fold or their staffs cut in half. And I realize that's life. That's reality. And at the same time, I'm kind of the beneficiary of just being in the right place at the right time, especially as ESPN was taken off. And, and we had a guy named Will McDonough in the business. Will McDonough was at the Boston Globe. He was the original insider, the NFL insider. He is the pioneer. He was the greatest and is still the greatest NFL insider that ever was. And Will was the guy that opened the door for all of us. And I can remember when the, when the ESPN called, uh, you know, Will was doing newspapers and CBS or NBC, depending on which one was. Uh, he, he bounced back and forth there. I can remember asking him, I said, well, is this, I mean, I can't stand, you know, the TV thing. He says, ah, he says, great, man. Just, just give him the headlines, kid. And I, I remember saying, well, we hate headlines. Headlines distort the news. And he said, well, then give him a caption. And you know what's funny about it? Give him a caption, that line that Will McDonough told me? A caption is actually Twitter right now. Yep. And, and I still don't necessarily like Twitter. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, but. I can't be, you can't be a dinosaur. I mean, I can still, there are still some principles that I believe that have been sacrificed in the, in the, in the, you know, in terms of having good in-depth journalism and there's still good journalism being done out there. I mean, there's always a news break, but to me, there's always the, 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 the 10 or 20 paragraphs under the headline and the lead paragraph that is some dog doggone good explanatory journalism that still needs to be practiced and still needs to be done. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's not in the newspaper world necessarily anymore. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about coming to Atlanta, as you said, 83 with the AJC, and, and your kind of tail end of the Braves. You know, 82, they make the playoffs. 83, they're still good. 84, second place, and then it dipped. And then you go to the Falcons, who blessed them in the 80s. It was just a, it was a lost cause for so many years. Tell me about the city. Tell me about the amount of media, because we have no sports talk. We have TV stations covering them. It, it was not close to the city and the sports scene we know now. No, but I loved the city back then because it, it just felt like something something was happening there. I, mean, I, I found it uh, uh, a thriving city. Uh, you know, it's funny, Dusty Baker, who played, started his career with the Braves, who went to the Dodgers, and I was covering the Dodgers, uh, and Dusty and I were pretty close. And I can remember telling him I had this offer, and he said, man, you, you'll, you'd love Atlanta. I said, oh, what about the humidity? He said, you know what? He said, you'll get, you'll get used to it. And I'm not sure that would ever prove to be true. But a year later, a year later, while he was with the Dodgers and came into town and we're around, standing around the batting cage uh, during batting practice and all the L.A. riders are just sweating away, I, Dusty came up to me and said, man, I told you. I said, what do you mean? He says, you got used to it. He said, look at, your, look at all the L.A. guys. Look at you. And I wasn't sweating that much. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know, I thought the city, I just, I loved, I actually liked the, the city back then more than I do now, to be honest with you. Uh, don't know why. Uh, maybe it's just traffic. Maybe it's just, you know, the whole car. And, and, you know, when the Falcons were at the uh, Falcon Inn, if you remember, sure. I Swanee. Yep. Swanee was nothing, by the way. Swanee was just a bunch of woods. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can remember one of the uh, sons of owner Rankin Smith. Going out into the woods with his uh, with a guy, you know, his, his fatigues, you know, his hunting gear, and and the team getting ready to go out in the field and practice, and hearing some shots fired, and I'm sitting there saying, "Well, what if he gets aimed the wrong way? You know, what's going to happen out here?" And uh, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, so the Falcons at the time, Dan Haney was the coach. I can remember Dan did not have a successful run 
But I do think it was funny because the criticism aimed at, aimed at Dan was that, you, you know, you, you got this one-back offense. How come you don't have a fullback and this, that? Well, now 95% of the teams don't have a fullback. Although, you know, he used the the H-back tight end for the, for, for the blocking plays, which, by the way, Ken Wisenhunt was his H-back, who's uh, you know, now a longtime coach, and Ken had been at Georgia Tech uh, as a player. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, the city – and the other thing about the city I really like, I'm just going to be honest with you, and not that L.A. had any – and he uh, short was short of this this dynamic. Atlanta did have the South did have very beautiful ladies. That's very that hasn't changed. And, yeah. and I was single. I was single. So <laughs> it, 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 uh, in the newspaper, listen. I want the other thing about being there in the South is I wanted to be in the Eastern Time Zone, and uh, and people always think, well, the Eastern Time Zone meant New York, but I always felt like if you got in the Eastern Time Zone, my work maybe would be recognized and I could maybe climb that ladder a little bit better. That actually proved out to be true. Home field advantage exists in baseball. Insurance, too. Your local Trusted Choice independent insurance agents are active members of your community. They'll always have your back. Find a local auto, home, or business insurance agent at TrustedChoice.com. Folks, you just heard from Smoltzy, and you heard it from me as well. Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are my trusted choice for insurance agents. They've been my agent for a long time, and they serve all of Metro Atlanta. To get up to 10 auto insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes, visit roads-group.com slash churnoff today. That's roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, uh, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love Mort, the talk to me draft. about some of the personalities from the Braves to the Falcons in that time because you're covering Joe Torre and you know, Murph is here at that time and Bob Horner and then certainly with the Falcons, mid-80s, like probably the, you know, the tail end of Barkowski and a few others. Who were the guys you enjoyed covering? Did you have any battles with anybody? What was it like back in that day journalistically? Well, I, I would have hated to be a manager, baseball manager. I, I know this is, is true because I clashed with Tommy Lasorda and I clashed with Joe Torrey. And I'm not looking at either one of those guys and saying they were the problem. The problem was probably me in terms of the dynamic. of you know, When you have to do it every day and live every day and ask what you believe are questions that need to be asked, and they take some of those questions personally. Uh, and anybody who kind of knows my personality would tell you I, I have a tendency to, you know, not back down but probably get overly aggressive. Uh, so now, I, now you asked a, a, a part of that question I love because I'm going to tell you this. It, with the Dodgers, they, they, they went to a couple World Series. They won a World Series in 81. I was actually the official score, by the way, one of the three official scores in that 81 World oh, Series. Oh. Uh, when I was coming to the Dodgers. But 
I covered great players with the Dodgers, as you can know. You know, the, what it was, I mentioned Dusty Baker, but Ron Say and Steve Garvey and Davey Lopes and, 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 and Reggie Smith and so, so many good, great players. But when I got to the Braves and I covered Dale Murphy and watched Dale Murphy day in, day out, I said, now I know what a Hall of Famer looks like. Now I know what a Hall of Famer looks like. And, you know, there was, a, there was an old baseball scout that used to work with the Yankees, and he was kind of an independent scout guy. His name, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he'd been with the Yankees too. And Ed, Ed Libertor was his name. And uh, he told me we were, we were – he was in Atlanta uh, on this one particular trip, and he said, you know, that Dale Murphy, you know who he reminds me of? And Ed, Ed back then was probably – 75 years old, 70 years old. Uh, he said, Dale Murphy reminds me of Joe DiMaggio. Oh. And I said, wow. He goes, he's so graceful. Everything he does is so graceful. It makes it look so easy. People forget, like, hitting 30 home runs was a big deal back then. Sure. Dale was also stealing 30 bases was, was, a still, was a big deal, too. Dale was the first player since Bobby Bonds, not Barry Bonds, everybody, but Bobby Bond, he was the first 30-30 guy in like something like 10 years. He was a two-time MVP. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for his knees, and I remember the frustrations and futility of the Braves not being able to win the division. And, you know, at one point, I think Dave, I think Dale actually went to him and said, if you want to trade me to make this team better, go ahead and do it. He didn't want out, but he understood. And Dave Justice was rising from the ranks. But then I don't think I was covering the team on a full-time basis. In fact, I, I, I know I wasn't. Uh, but Dell was one guy I will say, and it, it pains me. And everybody looks—it's such a numbers thing, but the Hall of Fame. And, and he had his knees injured, and, and he just couldn't really hit for average. And uh, he couldn't get his 400th home run. He only had 399. Oh, but but how a two-time MVP is not in the Hall of Fame, who really was one of the, for a decade the argument in this in major leagues was who's the best player in, in the major leagues. Is it Dale Murphy? Is it is it Andre Dawson? Mike Schmidt, right? Mike Schmidt. I mean, Dale's in that argument. Yep. I mean, by the way, a lot of people made the argument for Dale being the best of those guys. And so I, I'm really, I think it's a, a great oversight. And I have some baseball writers who agree with me, but as time moves on, you know, it's going to take a senior committee to correct what I believe is the wrong. And because uh, Murph to me was a Hall of Famer and. You know, Bob Horner was probably the best. He had the most compact swing, you know, that I've I've seen in baseball that, that I covered. Uh, you know, he's out of Arizona State, as everybody knows, and went straight to the bigs. Uh, uh, but those those two guys, and it was a it was a fun team to cover. It really was. The Braves were. Uh, the Dodgers were a fun team to cover. Covering baseball was great to cover. I mean, there was no greater joy in the world than to go to the baseball park early, before the gates were open, and to see. Uh, what I call man's best work with God's creation, and that is the baseball diamond. When you're up there in the press box kind of doing some early work, and then all of a sudden the park comes alive, and you go down to watch batting practice, you go in the clubhouse, but get back up there, and all of a sudden the vendors are there, and then then all of a sudden the gates are open, the organ music is playing. Uh, I love that. I, I have so many great memories of baseball. So that's when I say it's the most difficult thing for me to ever give up. I am telling you the truth. Uh, as far as other people uh, I've covered, there's just there's, there's so many to name because I really do enjoy 
not just covering the sports, but the guys who are gifted enough to play the sport. Well, talk to me about the, and I don't want to skip over the national because you're right. For the time, it was a, a fascinating endeavor. But ESPN was still is still rather young at that point. I know they started late yeah. 79, 80. But when you make the, yeah, so you make the 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 leap, let's say to to give ESPN a shot. What did you know you were walking into? What did you think it was going to be? Because you said reporter, and then since then we know. I mean, more, you're as synonymous as anybody at that network. So take me through the evolution from your, your interview, your audition, to where you are. And I really still am a reporter. I mean, we, we, we kind of laughed at the old insider thing. But, uh, but uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those things. Going over to ESPN was really an experiment because I had just written a book. It's called Playing for Keeps. That was based off uh, uh, really a two- or three-year investigative piece that I did in conjunction while I was still covering football. Uh, and I'm not going to go into the details of the book, but I had a chance, I think, to probably have a three-book deal kind of on the table and as opposed to going to ESPN. And I will admit, when the National folded, I was making good money. It was the first time a newspaper decided to pay uh, writers six figures, which was unbelievable. As I told you, I was thrilled with 90 bucks a week. <laughs> and all of a sudden, at the National, you're making six figures. Uh, and... Uh, you know, but the ESPN, you know, they were in that ballpark. They were they were a little bit of cut above there, and and I went there and uh, didn't like it at first because first of all, I had to like clean up. I did, you know, I'm from I'm a, I'm from the beach area in California. <laughs> I, I, I you know, I'm one of those guys get out of bed and however my head lays, that's how that's how it is. I'm in jeans, I'm in t-shirts, uh, tennis shoes, you know, maybe a Springsteen t-shirt back then, even even as early as then, and. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm asked to be, you know, to put on a dress shirt, suit, coat, tie. First time, I, you know, they said, you got to go to the makeup chair before I was on TV. I mean, when I was first going on the TV. And I could not believe I let this, uh, one of our makeup artists, we call them. They are really artists, by the way. Uh, but uh, actually mess with my hair. It's the last time I ever let uh, a makeup artist really do my hair. <laughs> because when I got out, I had one of those, one of those, those big, Poofy, you know, flock of seagulls thing. thing going. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awful. But then I also, <laughs> but I did have a mustache. I remember. So yeah. Now I had a mustache for like, you know, I had had it going back to California. I had had it for about eighteen years. I remember the night before my first NFL countdown, and I got a call from uh, you know, one of our, our managing uh, editor at ESPN. I think it was Steve Anderson and Bob Roush, who was the coordinating producer, and they asked me if I would shave off my mustache. Now this is the night before my very first countdown i did the draft on the mustache and i said well why i said you know i've had this all my life you hired me with it and they said well just been looking at different you know some of the audition tapes and some of the minimal appearances you've done with sports center and by the way espn only consisted of about two and a half buildings then right now it's got three campuses uh but I can remember, uh, they said, well, you, did, you just look a little bit mean with it, you know. <laughs> just kind of cleaned up. And I said, well, I said, if you think I look mean with it now, where do you see me? What type of mood I'm in if I shave this off? I went ahead and did the team thing, shaved it off, and hated it. But now I would never grow back a mustache. So Yeah, for the time, it, it kind of worked. Um, what about the relationships with, with some of the folks there in the early 90s at ESPN? And as you start start to grow into this monster of, of a – you know, sports entity. Um, how did you like? How did you start developing the relationships within ESPN and certainly within the NFL? Well, you know, it, it was uh, it was funny because really going back to the uh, what I was covering the Falcons, uh, and 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 really about two years into covering that, I went to Van McKenzie uh, again, and I said, look, I said, 
uh, what about covering the NFL on a more uh, on a broader basis, uh, on a national basis? Especially as I was getting into this investigative story, and uh, and he kind of liked the idea. I said, you know, Will McDonough is up there, and he he's just he's the only guy covering it nationally. He was, Will was at the Boston Globe then, and and Will and I used to talk every week. Uh, and, and Will did the ultimate notes column. It would take up a whole page uh, of a sports section, you know. And, uh, and and Will and, and and he liked the idea. Uh, Van did, and so I was, uh, you know, I asked Dave Kindred, who was one of our sports columnists then, and, and one of the great journalists I've ever been around. Uh, I said, okay, I got to cover this league. What do I do? And he, he actually said, hey, here's a couple guys to call some general managers. And the first one he gave me was George Young of the New York Giants. Uh, George also has since passed away. Uh, so one day somebody's going to be saying, yeah, I talked to Chris Mortensen. Unfortunately, he, he passed away a few years ago. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, that's, his, that's his life. But uh, George, I remember calling George Young and, uh, and, and calling him, and he had a, you know, a secretary, as we called him then, said, uh, I will uh, tell him who's calling. And I said, it's Chris Mortensen with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm going to be covering the NFL for us. And she said, hold on. And I held on for about three minutes. And I said, okay. Of course, this was a landline. There were no cell phones. It was a landline at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And all of a sudden, the phone clicks, and I don't get a hello. I just get this voice that says, who are you? (laughs) And it's George Young. I said, and I tell him who I am. He says, what do you want? Which, as it turned out, that was George's standard stock answer every time i think we got over with who are you every time i called george was which was frequently was all what do you want and then we'd end up on the phone and he just started developing relationships within the league one dot led to another dot the bobby bethards dick steinberg the late dick steinberg with the new york jets so many ron wolf you know uh and, and of course you know atlanta had you know tom brotz at the time was gm and ken herrock hey man and and it just kind of, you know, spread out through there where you start creating these contacts and, and with coaches, with uh, with uh, GMs, with owners, uh, and then ultimately, you know, with with players. That kind of would branch out too. And uh, so, you know, covering that on a national basis uh, started really with newspapers. And then when you get to the TV part of it, some of them you already have relationships with. But what I found is the visibility of ESPN, even though, the audience isn't really the audience was actually we had a decent audience back then because there weren't as many competing networks. But I found that just by me being on TV, I found my phone calls being returned a lot quicker. I think maybe from being fifth on a list of returned phone calls, I, I was getting, I was almost being the first guy because they see you on TV and they actually think you're somebody. They should have talked to my mom; she would have told you differently, <laughs> or my wife; she would have told you differently. I'm still Chris Mortensen, but. Uh, That actually played to my uh, advantage, by the way. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at rose-group.com. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, 
knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. So you had a lot of good relationships, certainly, and you, you have a lot of contacts. It's normal, Mort, when you're doing what you do, I'm sure, to butt heads with somebody's GM, coach, player, um, how public did those ever play out or how uncomfortable was it for you when you were in the same place, be it a draft or a, a team's facility, if that ever happened? No, you know, I, I had accepted long ago, actually even go back to when I was working for the high school newspaper, not working, but that you learn that the, the role of a reporter or a journalist uh, is naturally adversarial with the people you cover at certain points of that relationship. And I, when I speak to journalism students, and I haven't lately, uh, you know, I used to really say, I said, I'm really big. I, I really think it's important to build relationships, not friendships. And some of them would scratch their head. I said, well, listen, when you build friendships, and that's, that, that, that is problematic because is, the longer you go, these relationships, man, you're really, you know, they become, they almost feel like friendships. But, you know, when you when you're really covering a a friend, there is a sense of betrayal when that relationship hits that natural adversarial point of whether you're reporting something they don't want you to report, or you're you're uh, in conflict. You know, you can you can work through the relationship with friendships. It's like I even had a very famous coach who's in the Hall of Fame who said, "I thought you were my friend." I said, "Well, you thought wrong." I said, because I've never, I said, we've actually never even gone out to dinner, you know, and, uh, and, and that was a little bit of smart alky in me. And oh, by the way, we, 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 our relationship did just fine after that conversation. Uh, but, uh, you know, there were times where it was public. I mean, Al Davis of the Raiders, who did by far more for pro football than I would ever have done. He used to, he, he, he liked me for a while, and then he would take me to task nationally. At one point, Adam Schefter, of course, you know, my partner now, who's now the best, you know, really national uh, reporter covering the league, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Adam was working for the NFL Network in the early stages. Uh, one week, he called Adam a rumor monger for saying Art Shell was going to be fired, which Art Shell was fired, by the way, eventually. And he called Adam out publicly, and then he called me out because uh, just because he wanted to he, when he fired Lane Kiffin. Remember that infamous press conference he had with the overhead projector? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, well, in, in that press conference, Al Davis, and remember now, I, I have, he's one of the greatest you know, contributors to pro football ever. Al was up there to explain that he, he was, you know, he says, I fired Lane Kiffin. Uh, and he had that little click of his tongue, roof of his mouth. And he said, and he goes, Chris Mortensen had it five minutes later, exactly the way it went down. He goes, and in that same hour, hour and a half long press conference, he called me a professional liar. 
And I'm thinking, well, how does this work? How do I get credit for having something exactly the way it went down? And then an hour later, I'm a professional liar. So those things get you know, it get awkward. I mean, I, I had my moments with – you have your moments. And like I say, baseball was even more of a conflict. I mean, it's, it's almost embarrassing to me to, to think that I clashed with Joe Torrey and Tom Lasorda, two, two Hall of Fame managers. But uh, as I said, you, when you do it every day, it's just going to – it's just going to – that's, that's going to happen. It comes with the job. Mort, two last things for you. Number one, and you use the word, so I'll have fun with it. Are you sort of amazed with the amount of, quote, insiders that have followed since you 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 know made that role something where we have Glazer and you mentioned Schefter and you know every CBS has got theirs and NBC. Like, are you amazed to see this many of these, quote, insiders now around the league? Uh, not amazed. Uh, maybe if I had been a visionary, and I've never been much of a visionary, I would have seen that this, this landscape was going to grow. Uh, you know, I can remember going to a Giants uh uh, training camp and Jay Glazer actually coming up to me and, and saying, Hey, can we go have a beer somewhere or, or dinner or lunch or whatever? And uh, I said, yeah, let's do, let's after let's do it tonight and, and went there and Jay had like this big folder and he, he worked for the New York post or daily news. Then I can't remember which one. And he, and he, and he brought out, he took out this notebook and there's all kinds of clippings. That was not just his coverage of the team, but coverage of the, his NFL notes column. He said, I want, I want to be you. I just any advice you have, and and uh, I, I can remember recognizing. I said, you know, that guy, uh, Jay Glazer, he's going to be dangerous one day. And I meant dangerous as a competitor because he had that hunger, and 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 uh, and he had, you know, he had a way of, uh, he, you know, Jay doesn't buy into my theory of developing relationships, not friendships. He he develops friendships and relationships, but. Uh, then you know, for it to mushroom from there was Adam Schefter, and now you have so many. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not amazed by it. Maybe uh, I should have expected it. I think hey, if there's jobs out there and guys are working hard to do it, what's changed that I don't like is real time journalism, uh, which is instant. You know, it's like you can get it one minute, and before you can type it to put it on Twitter, which is not the way it should be done. By the way, it should actually be filed to your news desk uh you know somebody's got it 30 seconds later or two minutes later and or you may post it and somebody else will follow with the post or you may post it and find out somebody already posted it uh but yeah i mean listen the, the more the more people who have jobs in our industry the better that's that's the bottom line yeah i echo those sentiments uh last thing more and, and i'm sure a lot of the listeners want to know because we're just big fans uh, how is the health going right now how are you feeling Listen, I'm, I'm feeling probably better than I've felt since I was diagnosed with the stage four uh, uh, throat cancer, oral pharynx. Uh, it did metastasize to my lungs. I think if people have followed my health, they probably know that. So, you know, we we uh, uh, we lived dangerously in 2016 with uh, me being down at MD Anderson in Houston. Dangerously meaning that I had let this thing advance way too far, and uh, you know, without without. Uh, I'll just say this, as people know my faith, without Christ and that faith of mine, I don't think I would have made it, obviously without my family's support. But uh, I did. The only problem is it metastasized to my lungs, and to this day I'm being treated for that. And uh, so I still have cancer, but, you know, there's about six to eight things that happen because of your treatment that, you know, you just kind of learn to live with. And right now I think I feel about as well as I have felt in four years. (laughs) As I cough, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but I, uh, I can tell you that, uh, that, uh, you know, there's always a curveball that's thrown at you during the course of a year. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but I will say this, that I, I have found a, a little bit of mission in life that has nothing to do with sports or being, uh, being, uh, you know, just being a good family man. I hope a good Christian and that, and that is that you find it to be your mission all of a sudden that different people, unfortunately, so many people in their families or themselves know somebody who has cancer. And I've had many people come to me and just ask for some type of advice uh, or, you know, it, it creates a level of empathy in you and, and compassion in you that I think has been a good thing. So physically I have cancer uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I'm feel as vibrant as ever. I'll say the same thing, Mort, that I had Ernie Johnson on a few weeks ago. The attitude, oh, one of my, oh, he's one of my favorite. One people. of the one of the great guys. We'll say the same to you. You guys, with the, I think your words, I think your encouragement, and I think your positivity. Don't let that go unnoticed. And I know a lot of us who hear your words don't. So, thanks again for spending that uh, that time with us. To talk about that and the the fun stuff through your career. It's an unbelievable journey. Thank you, Mort. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Matt. It was good to catch up with you again, too. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear, for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.